This is Pop Crap, episode 187. Welcome to episode 187 of Pop and Crap. I'm Paul French, and uh, well, I'd like to just tell you that we were making uh, meals um, for the for the month, as as we uh, do once a month, where we kind of make a whole bunch of stuff ahead so that we can just you know defrost and and cook it up. And one of Ooh. the things called for uh, for this uh, special recipe for for what Jan called sliders. I of course corrected her. And let her know that it is sliders. <laughs> I'm just gotten I love that joke more than I should have. <laughs> oh, I That's like this. Everybody loves I, sliders. In in the in the like the half hour we've got you. Um <laughs> <laughs> start the clock. You got about 30 minutes before my eyes cross and I pass out. So let's enjoy some good humor along the way. Indeed. So yeah, yeah. And she didn't get the reference because I guess it's something just she never watched it. So um, alas, exactly. I was like, oh, you'll want to because, you know, it's got uh, it's got, uh, you know, Natalie from Sports Night. We like Natalie from Sports Night. And it's got uh, and it's Jerry O'Connell. And it's got that guy from um from uh i don't know from lord of the rings i'm like ah, oh, what the hell's his name uh you know Bogley. and she's like <laughs> you mean gimli and it's like maybe sure, him too yeah whatever and i'm like ah, i should have remembered salah <laughs> damn it right <laughs> i was going for like you know a, a latter day role uh, as opposed to i guess possibly one of the things for which he's best known to be fair um yeah I, I feel like you veered there at the last minute and buried the lead so well there yeah. you go there you go i'm like yeah he was but to be fair like i say like i mean to be fair. most people know him from uh from lord of the rings it's just a reality i thought most people knew him from sliders but what do i know yeah but i mean it it was it was on Fox. I mean, <laughs> let's let's not overestimate the number of people that watch the show where they hide all the good shows. Mm. Mm. Indeed, indeed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, so speaking of hiding good shows, Scott, what have you been watching? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Ah, oh, unexpected. Um, I've been having a lot of fun with Law and Order lately. Um, yeah. Among other things, came to the realization that uh, one of the last shows that really has held on to the opening theme idea. Oh yeah, like you can you you can hit skip multiple times and still be mid theme song, which oh, is kind absolutely. of awesome. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that there's a show around that still remembers that a theme song can be more than four notes and five seconds of title credits. Yeah, well, and, they've they've kind of had you know a, a number of years at it and. And oh yeah. Let's be realistic. They're they they definitely are, of another era. Yeah, their um um their 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 formula is like do we need more minutes? 
No, we do not. <laughs> <laughs> well, nope. Let's do the extended cut of the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's we like we're, we're so much time with somebody finding a body in a dumpster. It's season twenty-four, people. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um. It. Uh, anyway, I, I love the fact that they still commit to a good opening title sequence, That's but. Awesome. Um, the shows seem, in, in their later seasons, seem to be having a lot of fun with the characters of late. Um, some recent observations. Uh, last week's episode of Organized Crime, I know one of your favorites. Um, Sorry, um, you mean Law and Order Unintentional Comedy Unit? That's the one. Uh, but, yes. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I, I, part of it is, you know, we got a uh, guy who played Mad Dog on Arrow running around playing a cop now that's that's just kind of fun to see him get to play like you know grown-up role Mad dog. um who is that he, exactly right he was one of the one of the later heroes oh you mean uh wild dog that's it there you yeah, go wild yeah, yeah. Dog. that's okay. probably better yeah sure i mean if you're gonna correct me on that it's gonna be a long episode but yeah wild dog <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna give me all too much ammunition <laughs> yeah Oh, I'll set him up. You knock him down, brother. Yeah, you got it. I said more. The this most recent episode, they had a whole thing where they're going undercover into gay clubs, and so they uh, Stabler was was the guy they were going to bring out, and they were trying to add to his profile, and uh, so he was checking out the profile that his team had created for him, and somebody made a reference to the the daddy entry. He says, "Daddy," and they're like, "Yeah, I I don't know, man. That's the energy you project." And I just thought it was funny, given that the internet of late, the whole the having, whole zaddy thing, yeah, yeah, the whole zaddy thing, yeah. And, and there it was, and he intentionally looked uncomfortable with the idea and played it for laughs. Yeah. And a, a few weeks back, over on SVU, uh, Bradley uh, Whitford was on playing a man with dementia, and um, he saw Olivia Benson and said, uh, he said, "Ass like the devil and face like Jane Mansfield." Which nice, is hilarious because it's her mom. His, her mother is Jane Mansfield. Exactly. Um, and, and every time I she watch, is the you know, spitting image of her. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And every time I watch an old movie with Jane Mansfield in it, mm -hmm. all I can think of is what a shame it was that Jane Mansfield didn't get to see her daughter playing, you know, this, you know, kick ass cop. Yeah, in a, in a later series, oh, and, for and sure. how much fun it would have been as as a, a woman who, I, I think at times might have struggled a little with her role as, um, the the alternate Marilyn Monroe, uh, and and for sure that, that it would have been cool for her to see what what her kid accomplished. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's been some weird kind of law and order stuff afoot. Um. Nice. Other than that, digging my way out, still working my way through some movies. Got into a whole uh, uh, Spider-Man trilogy stretch here um, from my, the stuff I recorded back at Christmas again, or thereafter, I guess, if it's still playing off the app. Um, and uh, I'm bringing a more critical eye to Sam Raimi's stuff. And boy, you really feel the B-moviness of some of what he's doing. What was this? The, well, I, I went through um, Spider-Man 2 today, and the whole quasi-horror sequence of the the uh, 
the scene where the doctors are trying to um, cut the arms off of Doc Ock and the arms all come to life and it becomes mm-hmm. like a little mini horror movie for about 45 seconds there. And um, it's, you know, lots of just screaming and running and getting grabbed by the arms, dragged back into the darkness. And he really, there are times where he is really a, a, a B movie director with an A movie budget. Uh, it's, I, it's interesting. I, it's just, you know, it's years later. Superhero movies look a little different, but it, it's a, it's an odd thing to look at his specifically and see the, he, he loves to bring out his evil dead side. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. Again and again in, in making these movies in, in, in a, a movie in which you could argue it, it doesn't belong but he has fun with it well Um, i i I, I mean it's the same guy who brings me that he brings up that car and bruce campbell every other movie or every movie and and i love that i love him for that so you know i'll forgive him for this but boy it it felt a little i i I found honestly uh all three of them to be neat but you know when people were like oh spider-man choose the the best superhero movie ever made. And it's like, (laughs) seriously, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 it's so flawed because you can feel like, like there's the bit in the whole bit of, um, um, you know, uh, Spider-Man versus the Goblin in uh, in the first Spider-Man movie. And everything mm-hmm. is, um, you know, here's a mask without a mouth and another mask yes. without a mouth. And uh, and uh, and so, we've, you know, we're like hand puppets uh, for yeah. all these scenes. And so in this next movie, they there was clearly an order that was like, we're not spending all this money on fucking Tobey Maguire so you can put a mask on him. And so they're like... <laughs> You know, like looking for every excuse to take the mask off. Yeah. <laughs> and Absolutely. don't even get me. And 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 I don't I don't lay that at Raimi's feet at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a no, lot the longer of, that trilogy went on, the more it felt like, yeah, you, know, you can feel creator and studio arguing. It is because uh, because three is just unwatchable. What a, what a oh, shit show. Um, three hurts a lot. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, contrast with the current Spider-Man movies, which are honestly the absolute best of, of the, of the bunch. Yeah. And, um, there's, there's no denying that the current stuff makes the old stuff really show its age. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I remember I don't think it's even an age thing. I think it, I think it is just like a, uh, you know, it is just where they got to a point where it's like, wow, this is making money. And all of a sudden there's a whole lot of people with clipboards showing up on, on set every day. And, Hmm. um, and, and, you know, and it is, uh, I was listening to, um, uh, I mentioned uh, Keith Giffen's podcast last week and I was listening to it again uh, today. And he said like, you know, every time something becomes uh, popular, all of a sudden a whole lot of people start coming around saying, you know, you should really look at this. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, everyone has to have their say, everyone has to have their stamp on it. And, uh, and that's what happened with those, you know, it's like, we're not spending so much money on Tobey Maguire so you can have him in a mask. So find an excuse to take the mask off and it becomes distracting. Yeah. 
Um, and, um, you know, whereas when, by the time they got around to doing, uh, um, you know, Spider-Man homecoming, it was like, eh, we're, we're good. You, you, you do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think there is still, uh, well, there is definitely still a lot of, of intervention, you know, um, uh, what's his name talked about it when uh, when they were making um, was it Civil War? No, yes, no, it was Age of Ultron. Um, you know of of all the interference that was going on then, and mm-hmm. uh, and Branagh certainly bristled against it with the um, with the Thor movies, and um, you know by then there was a, just again a lot of people showing up with clipboards and ideas. I know, fair enough. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, damn that. Yeah. You're like, like, honestly, like shit like that is actually, you know, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, asserting a bit of, a, you know, let's let, let let's uh, let's actually do something here, shall we? Yeah, I mean, still enjoyable movies. Um, I appreciate how much. Toby worked at the Peter character. Um, he really, you know, he was trying to play this fully developed character who couldn't win for trying, did the right thing, and eventually lost because of it. And you felt the the struggle that this guy went through. And I mm-hmm. appreciated that. Um but yeah, it's uh, it, it's always interesting to go back to rewatch movies because you find things like, hey, that's you know Joel McHale playing the banker, and I had my back turned to the TV and heard um, uh, Betty Brant uh, speak. Betty, Betsy, Betty, Betty. Um, and it's uh, it's Elizabeth Banks. That's right. Um, in a wig, and but I heard her voice and immediately recognized her, and then came in and went, "Holy shit!" They put her in like a little <laughs> it's brunette. Sal. <laughs> that's that's what Ella would say. Hey, look, it's oh. Sal. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Everything is modern family. Oh, um, believe me, or um, Brooklyn Nine Nine now. Ah. Yeah, she's on like her. She's on her third time through. <laughs> My niece and nephew love that series. Can't get enough of it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm halfway through uh, Spider-Man three, and boy, is that going to be a rough one? Because we know that's a rough one. And, Why are you uh, doing that to yourself? Well, you know, sometimes you just need to watch shit well it's this it's the comic book collector in me it's the completest if i'm gonna watch the trilogy i'm gonna watch the trilogy you know okay you know what i mean (laughs) no i don't sometimes it's just you know wow is it still that bad oh oh yes yeah no i i watched it i i saw it in the theater when the the first weekend it came out and that's rough and i will never have to watch it again ever (laughs) <laughs> just a truly horrendous movie like like just a, an absolute dog's breakfast 
uh, I'll I'll watch I'll watch Iron Man three before I'll watch that. I'll watch Thor: The Dark World before I'll, before I'll watch that again. None of these are things that are ever happening, by the way. Ah. <laughs> Sometimes you just watch them all again. Ah, yeah, no, yeah. no, I I don't have time. I got I got too much stuff to watch that I haven't watched well, yet. To... Because tell me, what have you been watching? Ah. Very nice. Very nicely done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, I when have you serve been... it up like that. I'm going to drive it right back up the center. <laughs> nicely played. Um, yeah, I've been, uh, you know, getting uh, we've been watching the Ted Lasso, the uh, the, the new season and um, still mid season two. OK, well, I'm not spoiling. We well, actually, there. this we gotta get there. This doesn't spoil anything except, um, you know, the uh, um, at one point. Um, uh, someone shows up who is played by uh, Jody Balfour, who is um, currently playing the also playing the uh, president of the United States um, on uh, on um, one of my favorite shows uh, for all mankind. And mm. uh, she she's a former astronaut and there's a whole thing uh, with that. But it's like Jan and I were like, hey, is that? And it was. And um, and so that was always great. Um, and I got two other words to say, but really they apply to any season you watch. You watch of it, fucking Giles. Um, hmm. You know his, you know his character Rupert is literally like the 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 friggin' emperor. Uh, <laughs> and uh, in you know in Star Wars, and he is just evil personified and i remember just so, what a delightful lovable fuddy-duddy he used to be in uh in buffy and watching him in this being a complete and utter bastard is always delightful <laughs> um i'm glad to hear that he circles back because uh, i we haven't seen him a lot in season two so yeah, no, you'll 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 see him before the season's out, and uh, and uh, see him ag- again in, um, in in three, um, cool. but uh, but also kind of linked to uh, uh, to Ted Lasso is a show actually created by Roy Kent because of course he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. Um, is uh, as we need to sing it, of course. Um, uh, but yeah, he uh, created the show Shrinking, uh, which stars Jason Siegel, uh, mm-hmm. Jessica Williams and Harrison Ford. And so we watched the first. Well, we intended to just watch the first episode, but ended up watching the first three um, Ooh, on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. And uh, I wasn't sure how sort of wallowy it was going to be. And I mean, there's there's a bit of that, but it 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 fits well, and um, and yeah, so created by uh, Brent Goldstein, um, and I didn't uh, realize he created it. That's yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I didn't at first as well, but I heard a, an interview with Jessica Williams on another show, and she was just talking about how uh, you know how awesome he is to work with, and uh, and how you know she she's like he is the absolute polar opposite of Roy Kent. And, um, you know, no matter what he tries to tell you. (laughs) And so, uh, so I thought, Oh, maybe I need to give this another look. And yeah, it's been, um, 
it's been really good. And, uh, and of course, uh, because it is also a Bill Lawrence joint, um, we love us some, we, we, we love, we love the Bill, Bill the Bill Lawrence. Um, <laughs> he, uh, of course likes to bring his wife along. And so, uh, Krista Miller's in it as well. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, it, like you, so you've got this great lead cast with like Jason Siegel, Jessica Williams and Harrison Ford. And then you've got this amazing supporting cast with Krista Miller, Heidi Gardner. And, uh, it's, it's delightful. Um, just a really neat show. And I, I love the sort of where it's going in the first few episodes. Um, so yeah, highly recommend shrinking and, um, you know, there, there's bits where I th- I thought it was going to be a lot of like, you know, Siegel doing his uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall shtick. And uh, mm-hmm. and as I say, there is a bit of that. But um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, it's, um, you know, he, he plays a, a psychiatrist who uh, has an epiphany in the way he's working after after going through some uh, some personal tragedy and uh, and he works in this place with Jessica Williams, who is another therapist, and uh, and of course Harrison Ford, who is a a, a therapist, who uh, um, honestly is is delightful and really funny as well. Mm. So I highly recommend highly recommend that. Um, also, just stuff I've been listening to is um heard an interesting thing on Love It or Leave It, just uh Adam Conover, uh, you know, Adam ruins everything. Um talking about the because he's he's involved in the uh in the writers guild, uh in the in the on the board, and uh just talking about sort of some of the reasons for the pending strike. And um you know, people trying to get their their stuff written and in. Uh, it it does not bode well for a great development season <laughs> yet again. Um, yeah. And uh, but one of the things he was talking about is because so many shows are doing shorter runs. You know, where mm-hmm. it's like they're doing an intended like like um, what was uh, that one I had on my list? Uh, La Brea. Right. Where yep. where they like their intent right from the beginning was 10 episodes and then move on. So there's a lot of doing sort of. Yeah, we've got our. September series and we've got our January series and uh, and that's that's the way they're framing it. And uh, and, you know, it's like once this show's over, then we've got another thing to pick up because then we can have like uninterrupted seasons and we don't have to deal with the you know the endless like is it a new episode not for another month um Hmm. where where all the shows uh you know and uh and because uh fire country is so popular it it, they're they're doing that with that fire country right they're 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 doing uh they're doing the the oh we gotta we gotta hold a few back here and um and so that it spreads out all through all the sweeps periods and um whereas in other cases and it's interesting because they're trying to employ a bit of a bit of both in in their strategies is is they're doing that and then they're doing the shortened season where it is uh 
you, you know, why do one show with uh, 22 episodes when we can do two with 11 and 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 air them all back to back. So so it, it, it kind of keeps people keeps people fed. And then it's like and then and then pr- promote that, you know, a similar show uh, of similar length in, in, those, in, you know, pump that in those last few episodes. And uh, and they're hoping that works. But but a lot of what they've been doing with these is doing these like mini rooms where where they basically you know they they'll hire uh um a, a group of writers to uh to work for basically eight weeks and it is like break a bunch of stories um you know we're not even gonna bother with uh with with shooting a pilot for this we're gonna we're gonna have this go to series and it's gonna be eight episodes and um and uh and so what happens then is that people are in for shorter runs and now they've got to find something else after that whereas before it's like you get on a show you figure you've got uh you know you're you're kind of covered for for 10 months now you're working 2 months and hoping that that uh that there's another gig to follow it mm-hmm. so yeah so anyway talking about a lot about sort of the the reasons uh for the strike and uh and, and i mean one can never underestimate the stupidity as well um but there is good news amidst all this chuck lorry is developing a new show we talked a bit about chuck lorry last uh when we were talking about sort of you know is 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 the uh the traditional sitcom dead um so he is developing a new show uh that is going to be set in the big bang universe so yeah hmm. he's he's going to be involved all all the way um and that's great um of course the uh um it's it's not going to be a network show um he's developing it for max which of course is what HBO Max is renaming themselves because why keep the 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 differentiating part of the brand name? Absolutely. It's it's like us saying you saying, you know what, instead of pop of crap, we're gonna just be called crap. <laughs> and uh and so yeah, so as though as though we didn't already know they'd completely lost the plot. Um they are getting rid of the HBO part. The one thing that makes them stand out and be unique. And uh, and are renaming themselves Max. Max, you say? Well, what a what a shows that they're like you know they're extreme. And um, um, but you know it's it's the how many things have been called Max? You know, Pepsi had a Max. <laughs> you know, and they knew not to remove Pepsi from that. Why? Because Pepsi is the part that puts people in seats. It is, uh, it, it is branding 101. And um, and so yes, yeah, so Chuck Lorre is developing a new show for Max set in the Big Bang universe. And uh, we don't know what it is yet. They haven't they haven't said that that part of it. But uh, but you know, not not really a surprise given how well uh young Sheldon has done. Um, and has continued to do even when it, even when the, uh, when the mothership ended. So like, you know, good for them. And, uh, and they found a different way to go about it too, which is, which is pretty amazing. So there's that. Anyway, 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, we are gathered here to uh, to play a little game of uh, random year of flashbackitude. I love a good game where we're going to try and uh, see what we can figure out as far as, and we're going to make it simple uh, so that it doesn't take, you know, three hours um, is that we're going to work out, you know, best movie. Like we'll actually try and figure out what won best picture that year. We'll oh, look boy. at the top. We'll, we'll try and think of what the, the most popular movies were that season or some of our favorites uh, from that year. Um, best TV. And pick some song, uh, you know, pick some songs that were standouts uh, from from that year as well. So a little simpler, a little more focused. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick a rent. I've taken out the years we've already done, which were 1986, uh, 1985, uh, 2007, 1976, 1999, 1982, and 1988. Hmm. So, hang on a second here. Let's uh, let's go let's to to Picky for some help. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, there we go. All right. Pick a random number between one and forty. Oh, seven. What's that? Seven. It it picked uh, five. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were asking me to pick a number. No, no, uh, no, <laughs> no, sir, no, sir. Uh, we have uh, that's what picky is here for. Um, all right, so 1974. Ooh, interesting year. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, so we're looking at uh, at 1974. So uh, that's tougher because we were so young then, and some of us were barely here. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it'll be. Uh, It'll be a, it'll be a bit of a struggle, but um, but I think we can do it. I believe in us. I I, I do indeed as well, and um, and so I think that the Godfather Part Two was the best picture winner. Hmm. So okay. That's when it came out. And that was, of course, with Pacino and uh, um, and you know, you know all of the people, but it was De Niro as well. And uh, so, you know, that was the, the remember that when when he came out, they were like, "It's the first time they've worked together." <laughs> technically, te- well, technically, it's the first time they actually shared scenes because, of course, um, De Niro was playing, um, uh, you know, uh, Papi Corleone as as a younger man. And uh, mm-hmm. Pacino was in the present, in the quote-unquote present. Um, uh, some other things would have been, um, I think Chinatown was the same year. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure because uh, there was a there was a book by Mark Harris that I read that that kind of went into sort of the movies of the of the early seventies. And um, and I remember those both being in the book. Um, can you think of any? Oh boy, seventy four. I mean, those are some big ones you just took off the board. It's true. Uh, yeah. Hey, 
Yeah. It's not an easy one. So maybe we'll work, we'll try and work through this and like kind of, you know, throw up our hands and then, and then we'll just talk about the stuff that did happen and <laughs> what we enjoyed. Right. That may need to be. That's when's staying alive drop Saturday nights. Oh, Saturday that's 70. That's 77. Ah. Uh, Cause that's disco time. Well, that was, I was worried. I was afraid I was too early for disco, but, uh, so you're never too early for disco. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's let's um let, let let's let's enjoy looking at the stuff rather than um you know sit here and uh yeah, torturing you know, ourselves trying to guess it hemming and hawing exactly <laughs> one of us giving clues <laughs> exactly so let's get into movies okay because um it, it's actually pretty great um that'd be a good era oh it's 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 an era of stuff that you and i have both been watching over the last couple of years where it's like oh i really want to check that out and uh um so i'll lead off with i was correct on on the godfather part 2 it was 74 okay um and Chi and chinatown uh oh, nice. so you had you had the godfather part 2 arguably the best of of the of the trilogy um and uh you know because you've got the whole backstory of of the corleones uh you know uh, coming to america and finding their way and uh and de niro as uh as don Cor uh, as vito in the in the in the 1920s is just amazing mm -hmm. um yeah so that's a that's a solid one uh chinatown of course uh you know if if you guys have ever watched um um uh, uh the what's the zoo one uh zootopia it, it borrows oh, yeah. heavily from uh from chinatown which i love <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah so you got uh, jack nicholson um and uh faye dunaway in that one and yeah it's it's such a great movie um so i highly recommend that one blazing saddles Really? Yeah. Wow. 1974. Cleavon Little, Gene Wilder, uh, Slim Pickens, and Harvey Corman, uh, written and directed by Mel Brooks. Um, and, wow. uh, you know, it's something um, you're going to pick and choose your audience uh, for it when you're watching it these days. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but It is of an era. It, it it very much is, but uh, like I watched it th this past uh, September. Um, went up to a buddy's cottage, and that was one of the one of the movies we put on. Oh, God damn, it's still funny. <laughs> so funny is uh, just like 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 stuff where it's like I know what's coming up here. I know exactly because I've seen it enough times to know that this. It, God, still got me. Um, and, you know, it's just funny stuff. Yeah. I, uh, the most recent interaction with the movie I've had is, uh, there was some stuff on YouTube with people who were doing the, uh, you know, so-and-so reacts kind of thing where it's somebody oh, yeah, who's watching yeah. it for the first time. Yeah. Um, and watching 
a younger audience react for the first time to the movie is is something to see. Yeah, <laughs> I'd imagine it's it's shock and then laughter. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that you know the shock comes first, but that it is followed by the laughter and there is an appreciation for it, um, which is you know unexpected depending and it's true, on you know I... whose version of how young people are today that you hear. Yeah. I think I still react to it differently now than I would have 10 years ago. I imagine uh, for it's got to yeah. have a big, a big factor of, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, looking over your shoulder. Um, <laughs> We're all laughing at this, right? Is this a thing we've agreed on? Okay. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Too young to get canceled. Indeed. Indeed. Um, uh, yes. The popular myth of cancel culture. um texas chainsaw massacre oh yeah uh every time i see that all i think about is uh movie summer school Mm -hmm. and how the teacher is trading off different um gifts and things to the students in exchange for their attention and their efforts in class and that's right. Two of the Good. guys, Dave and Chainsaw, demand that the in class viewing of Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the greatest film of all time. And they do this, and the principal walks in in the middle of it and says, What are the vice principal? Says, What the hell is this? And he says, New safety film from the school board. <laughs> the cutaway shot is, is Leatherface in the middle of the street waving the chainsaw around. It makes me laugh every time. So anytime anybody <laughs> says Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all I hear is Mark Harmon saying, oh, it's a new safety film from the school board. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's yeah. funny. Uh, Mark Harmon, of course, executive producer of uh, Crapopolis. Oh. Uh, as we see? as we discussed last week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Mark Harmon or Dan Harmon? Dan Harmon. <laughs> This there is the go. exact same conversation we had last week, where you were like, "Yeah, Mark Harmon did this." I was like, "No, this, this is what we're here for, folks." Oh man, you um, know, if you can all learn faster than I can, imagine how good you'll be doing. There you go, um, Young Frankenstein. Oh, of course, back uh, to back. Yeah, gee, yeah, yeah. It was a good year for. Uh, for Mel Brooks. Uh, so yeah, mm. written and directed by Mel Brooks again, uh, starring uh, Gene Wilder, Madeline Kahn, Marty Feldman, and Peter Boyle. It is a, uh, yeah. The hell of a lineup. Absolutely. Um, now one I watched a few years back, uh, maybe three or four years ago. Um, well, I guess it would have been 14 because they, they had come out with a, uh, um, a 40th uh, anniversary uh, set of that, and it was it was awesome. Is 74 um, the taking of Pelham One Two Three? We're getting there. Okay, okay, we're getting there. It is. And, uh, finally, the the brain's starting to fire correctly over there here. There so. you go. Um, yeah, we knew there were a couple of answers in here. Another one we like: uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, this Ooh. is, of course, uh, by uh, Sidney Lumet. Um, and uh, stars Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, Ingrid Bergman, and Sean Connery. Oh, you know, you feel like some of those people. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Exactly. Um, Coppola had a good year, too, between um, The Godfather Part Two and The Conversation. 
this was uh, with uh, Gene Hackman in the lead um, mm-hmm. and uh, John Cazale and Alan Garfield and Frederick Forrest. Uh, John Cazale, of course, also played Fredo in um, in uh, in Godfather Part Two. And, uh, and, and, and sadly, uh, you know, died just a couple of years later. Um, uh, he was involved with Meryl Streep, uh, at the time and, hmm. um, and, and got very sick and she was kind of with him, uh, to his death. Hmm. Um, death wish, a New York city architect becomes a one man vigilante squad after his wife is murdered by street punks. And uh, in self-defense, the vengeful man kills muggers on the mean streets after dark. Uh, Of course, starred uh, Charles Bronson, uh, Hope Lang, Vincent Gardenia, and Stephen Keats. Hmm. Um, Like We're going to get to a bunch of movies where they've all been remade. Uh, The next one up is uh, The Longest Yard. um, Starring my man, Burt Reynolds. Uh, yeah. Eddie Albert, Ed Lauder, uh, Michael Conrad. And um, so that was a big one from uh, 1974. The Towering Inferno. Oh, Check out this cast. For those classics. Oh, it, oh yeah. It was like full on uh, disaster movie era. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, but, but, you know, the Towering Inferno, this is one that, you know, you don't hear people sort of checking back with, uh, but listen to the cast, Paul Newman, Steve McQueen, William Holden, and Faye Dunaway. Hmm. Madness, no right? Sludge, no sludge is there. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to give some cast. You see if you've got the, uh, the movie. Okay. Clint Eastwood, Jeff Bridges, George Kennedy, and Jeffrey Lewis. With the help of an irreverent young sidekick, a bank robber gets his old gang back together to organize a daring new heist. Yikes. I do not know that one. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. And it's uh-huh. direct. It's directed by uh, Michael Cimino, um, who sadly most people remember for, um, uh, you know, he did, like... You know, he did uh, the Deer Hunter, and uh, and and you know he did like uh, Year of the Dragon, and um, which was uh, Mickey Rourke and and John Lone. Um, you know, the, these are the these are some of the the, the great things that he did. But the thing, uh, you know, and, and yeah, like the Deer Hunter. Come on, um, heard of uh, it? But he also, what's that? I said, heard of it. <laughs> Well, I would, I would hope. Um, I'm teasing. Yeah, I again would hope. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, he- Heaven's Gate unfortunately was uh, was a bit of a rough go, and uh, that's kind of what he often gets remembered for, um, which uh, was Chris Christopherson, Christopher Walken, and John Hurt, and was uh, was actually a pretty decent movie. It just cost a lot. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so yeah, the Deer Hunter would come uh, four years later. Again, I, th- I believe that was the last one that Kazale was in. Um, the Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, yeah. So it's an early Roger Moore. Uh, yeah. In fact, it also still, has. Uh, we're still in the the Bond is God years. 
Absolutely. And so, yeah, Roger Moore, <laughs> Christopher Lee, and Britt Eklund in that one. Uh, this next one, a Midwesterner becomes fascinated with his nouveau riche neighbor who obsesses over his lost love, and that is The Great Gatsby, uh, starring <laughs> Robert Redford, Mia Farrow, Bruce Stern, and Karen Black. I couldn't have named that one if you paid me, but that's fair. Fair. The next one now. Do you ever remember the character Vartox in the uh, in the early eighties? Um, um, uh, Superman comics. He was a guy who showed up and actually and was a superhero from another Earth, and he. Um, and uh, Vartox, you know, showed up there in uh, the little, uh, you know, hot pants and uh, and a leather vest. And, um, uh, you know, what, what my buddy Darren would have called oh, it's some daddy clothes. And uh, and so he um, um, was played by Sean Connery. In this movie, um, which was the inspiration for Vartox, this movie was called Zardoz. And hmm. um yeah. Oh that's the Wizard of Oz thing. Right? Um no, that's the Wiz you're thinking of. No, I think it was, I thought it was Zardoz and it was that half the book had faded away and so now it's in the late twenty-third century, a savage trained only to kill finds a way into the community of bored immortals that alone preserves humanity's achievements. Hmm. So I, th- I thought that was the whole source of the Zardoz name in another movie because it was Wizard of Oz and the Wiz and the Ov had faded away. It's a Zardoz. Well, maybe it is. That left. sounds. I like that. Um, so looking movie connections, blah blah blah. Unseen God, blah blah blah. Um, other movie references. Usually they'll. Say this. I feel like if that doesn't list it first, we're in trouble. <laughs> um, Sean Connery had actually had a very hard time finding work after Diamonds Are Forever in 1971, and so uh, was working fairly cheaply for this movie. Um, doesn't mention it in any any of the. Uh, any of the things um but th- you'll like this uh writer producer and director sir john borman made this movie after an early early attempt to film tolkien's the lord of the rings and, and so that was canceled and studios uh had balked at the projected cost of the project as he envisioned it and then the same th- when the same thing happened to him again several years later he made excalibur instead hmm. um but yeah i don't see any mention of that but i i I wonder if that is just the way that they came up with it like you know maybe they saw it that way like you know that or oh here we go the title is reduced conflation of the phrase wizard of oz by remaining um okay so it is a reference yeah there you go Hey, how about that? There you go. Look at you remembering stuff. Eh, sometimes I, I, stuff. I did not realize that. It's been so long I'm since I've seen it. Pretty sure that I got that from uh, um, the fine folks at How Did This Get Made? There you go. 
Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think that was. Yeah, that would be a movie you would want to ask that question about for sure. Yeah. Um, the land that time forgot. Uh, in world during World War One, a German U-boat sinks a British ship and takes the survivors on board. After it takes a wrong turn, the sub submarine takes them to the unknown land of Caprona, where they find the di- dinosaurs and Neanderthals. Um, and so this one. Uh, Starred uh, uh, Doug McClure, um, not the guy who played uh, Jimmy Olsen in uh, in Superman the movie, and of course uh, Marty McFly's older brother in in Back to the Future, but a different Doug McClure. <laughs> um, oh, a different one. Yeah, yeah, different dude. Um, and then, of course, the. Uh, 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 our, our boy uh, Walter Matthau, along with Robert Shaw and Martin, uh, Martin Balsam and Hector Elizondo in the there taking of Pelham 123. Yeah. One of the greats. Nice. Um, I have yeah. seen this recently, as anyone who listened to previous episodes will recall. Indeed. And it is That's awesome. Good stuff. Uh, That's a great movie. Yeah. Really, totally. really enjoyed it. And holds up well um i appreciate the way they you know seem to develop all the characters who even though they would have very small parts yeah i I think specifically of the two cops who wander in carrying the the money um for the drop and realize that they're in kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't situation absolutely but they still you know they carry out the act and they, they talk like real people who were in this absurd situation and um, really dug that about yeah. his work and specifically in that film. Yeah. Uh, Phantom, sorry. Yeah. Phantom of the parrot of the paradise. Um, this is the one uh, by Brian De Palma uh, starring Paul Williams um, as a disfigured composer who sells his soul for the woman he loves so that she will perform his music. Uh, however, an evil record tycoon betrays him and steals his music to open oh, his no. rock palace, the paradise. Yeah. Um, Black Christmas. Wow. The uh, horror movie shot on uh, U of T. Uh, was it? Andrew, Andrea Martin and uh, um, mm, uh, and who's the other big name? Margot Kidder is in it. Margot Kidder is in it. I um Olivia Hussey was the lead. She uh well she was the one who played um um Juliet in the um the Franco Zeffirelli version of Romeo and Juliet. Um for a lot of us, it was the first movie boob we saw. Um, Yay. Yeah, well, it wasn't so great. Uh, Keir oh. D'Elia from uh, 2001, of course, uh, Margot Kidder, uh, directed by Bob Clark. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Bob Clark and Christmas movies, it's a thing, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, and Andrea does. Martin is down the list there. Um, yeah. yeah. Art Hindle. Of course, known to many. Oh, uh, Art Hindle. Yeah, yeah. Wow, there's a name <laughs> um, of ENG fame. 
That's right. Exactly. Among other classics. Yeah. But of course, uh, um, you know, Bob Clark, perhaps best known um, for A Christmas Story, but he also did Porky's. Yes, he did. Right. And uh, so quite a quite a, a run of things he had. Yeah. Um, rounding out the top 20. We have Going Places with Gerard Depardieu. I didn't realize he was around that early. Um, I wouldn't have put him working in film that early either. That's yeah. interesting. So uh, so he starred in that. And uh, and then number 20 is Deep Throat Part 2. <laughs> uh, starring Linda Lovelace, Harry Reams. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the 20th most popular film in 1974? Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. So there you go. Um and, and yeah, won't won't go any, don't need to go any further than that. But uh um oh no, I will br- mention one. This is uh by some guy. Oh there's, there's a couple in the in the in the twenties that I will pick out. Um Alice doesn't live here anymore. Um mm-hmm. uh Martin Scorsese starring Ellen Burstyn, Chris Christopherson. Uh, this was actually the movie that inspired the TV show Alice. Yes. Um, it was not a comedy. <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. Drama and, about a woman leaving her husband, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And uh, making her way uh, uh, across, um, you know, across the U.S. and uh, and all the things that she came up against as so she made her way. Uh, um, I think she was trying to get herself to California, but had to stop in uh, in Phoenix. And of course, that's where she started working um, for uh, Mel Sharples at Mel's Diner. And uh, Mel was actually played by Vic Tay back in the movie. Um, hmm. uh, what's it? Diane Ladd played Flo. Uh, of course, the role pro- popularized by. Um, what was her name? Yeah. Polly Holiday. Oh. Um oh. And, and Valerie Curtin uh played Vera. Um and there was even an early part for uh Jodie Foster in that movie too. Um Valerie Curtin someone he, he who uh hey, you've seen her in a bunch of things. Um you know, she did a lot of writing as well. Uh, but she she was a character actor who showed up in a in a ton of shows. You know, she there's an ER, there's a, uh, um, a you know a, a, a Becker, uh, a, a Party of Five, a Frasier, um, uh, you know, all these kinds of things. So anyway, um, so that and um, in addition to all those things, of course, earthquake. Speaking of the disaster movies, Charlton Heston, yeah. Ava Gardner, and George Kennedy, and Lauren Green. Um, and finally, the Parallax View, uh, directed by Alan uh, Alan J. Pacula, uh, starring Warren Beatty, Paula Prentice, William Daniels. Um, this is like this was a huge inspiration uh, to the Winter Soldier movie. Uh, that we were talking mm-hmm. about last week. Um, you know, that's where it gets its, it, you know, it's like, it, it's a, it, it, you know, it's a superhero movie that is, uh, that is really, um, 
going into uh into these these uh conspiracy um uh thrillers of the 70s and um yeah it's a good one that's so that's cool. that's movies and so now that we have only just finished movies we will uh we will talk about television in 1974 scott do you remember 1974 Ooh uh i i do not okay I, uh, well it's too young for that and i think at that point it is basically uh that is uh sesame street at best uh, well i mean sesame not. street was earlier than that but yes well, um, no no but for me that would have been the oh, other thing that would have that's been what you would have been watching yes the uh on the books for me i was a well, young man well i'm gonna tell you about some fantastic shows Please do. I think are going to shock and amuse you. I think I'm rather well versed in reruns, so I welcome this. Well, and and this is this is what uh, what fascinates me is some some stuff that was new. Um, there was a TV series version of uh, Paper Moon. Oh wow! That ran for one season, and. Um, and in the Tatum O'Neill role, they had Jodie Foster. Um, and oh, I know something. you you watched the uh, the movie recently. Recently, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think I think when we talked about it, we we mentioned briefly the uh, the TV series. But um, anyway, Jodie Foster, Christopher Connolly uh, in the role as uh, her father. Uh, Christopher Connolly, who you may know as, yeah, I don't know. I never heard of the dude either, uh, but he was in <laughs> Benji, uh, Airwolf, Peyton Place, oh, Raiders classics. of Atlantis. So really good stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't see anything else that either of us would know. <laughs> anyway, he played the Ryan O'Neill role. So there you go. All right. Nice. Space battleship Yamato. Oh. So you may you may not remember this as as that, but what you may remember it is a few years later as uh Star Blazers. Yes. Did wow, you that made the that? top that made the top ten? Top thirty. I'm mm. I'm cherry picking here because Let's let's go with some good stuff, right? Let's sure, go with sure, some sure. stuff that. But did you ever watch Star Blazers? I think I did. I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah. Well, Just when I think like about that. it, like, um, Battle of the that Planet. might have been only the one one of the ones I didn't watch. <laughs> okay, I, I remember. Yeah. I remember watching like the beginning of it, and then coming back to it later, and it's like, wow, clearly a lot of stuff has happened, and I have no idea. This is very interesting. Like just the idea of of you know, as a kid reading comic books, where you start to realize that these are ongoing stories. That wow, this show is an ongoing story where like stuff happens and has consequences on the next episode, and that's not what we got a lot of back then. No, that's mind blowing as a kid, right? Like, and first and time I remember, you get into a serialized show, you're like. You're without a compass. <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah. you know the only things that were that were really doing that at the time were like soap operas. Yeah, and um, and so Good point. you know it, it, it 
I know we uh, we we can uh, you know make a bit of fun here and there, but uh, but they were they were a part of that real kind of ongoing storytelling that that we're big fans of. Mm-hmm. Um, another show that started at that time, Hong Kong Fooey. <laughs> now I remember this being on Scatman Crothers uh, was one of the guys you know from The Shining. And many yes. many other things um, had a many and and uh, uh, you know a wide career before his death in 1986. But like, did tons of stuff, incru- including uh, the sh- the Shining or the Shining. Um, <laughs> what do you want what to you gonna- Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. The Aristo cats. Not the aristocrats. Um, yes, very, very different. Uh, anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that was much better than my doing the snap and uh, and visual. Because no. Um, <laughs> anyway, he was the voice of Hong Kong Fui. So uh, I did not realize that was him. Yeah. And so yeah. I remember this as a kid because to me, it's like, he's a superhero. He has a secret identity. How cool is this? Said, uh, said four or five year old me. And then all of a sudden the show was gone uh, because it only lasted that one season. Bastards. Hong Kong Fui number one super guy. Apparently not for everyone. <laughs> the hell you say. <laughs> Um, that's my mama. Okay, so I'm uh, not familiar. This one is like an early, um, you know, again, an early uh, black family um, uh, sitcom, and it starred uh, Clifton Davis, who, mm-hmm. um, See, my first thing goes to like, wait, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. Um, but he's been in a bunch of things, uh, including actually he did five episodes even recently in the um in the Iron Fist series on Netflix. Uh he <laughs> was in a bunch of episodes, 110 episodes of of Amen, which was the Sherman Hemsley uh sitcom. Yes. Where, yeah. Uh he's been yeah. in recently in Billions, which I've watched. Um <clears throat> he's a guy, so here's a guy who was the lead in a um a sitcom in 1974 who's who's still working hard uh you know yeah. he did, a, he did a, an episode of the good fight uh he did an episode of new amsterdam um as well as a bunch of episodes in godfather of harlem and uh, uh yeah this guy is everywhere and uh and i and i think to myself it's like He's one of those people who who comes into something, bring brings something with, with with gravitas, but we're but he's still a real um character actor. You know, he's he's that guy. Yeah. And I go through it's like Malcolm and Eddie, Party of Five, Grace Under Fire, Living Single, uh, the Jamie Foxx show, the John Larroquette show. Um <laughs> 
right? Like just a just a ton of stuff. The littlest hobo. He has a hobo on his resume. <laughs> that is uh that is the hallmark of success here in Canada. You're damn right. And uh for our international you know, listeners. <laughs> exactly. And Junior was uh played by Ted Lang. Who you say? Yeah, Isaac. Isaac, your bartender. That's awesome. Um, another guy who was in three episodes of the show playing Officer O'Reilly was some guy named Gordon Jump. Huh. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Tim Reed was in an episode. Oh, come on now. Hey, right? Tell me Hesman's running around in there. I'm gonna call it's, conspiracy. Don't even don't even mention it. Oh, we already killed him. What are we gonna do? Uh Vernay Watson. Hey, you're, the of one, course. you're the one naming Tim Reed. Yeah, tell you what. Um, anyway, so uh, Clifton likes being a barber in Washington, D.C., where he works in the business started by his father. He also enjoys being single, but his widowed mama, Eloise, has other ideas. And she was played by Teresa Merritt, um, um, who was in um, The Wiz. Billy Madison, Goodbye Girl, and a whole bunch of other stuff. All that jazz. Um, um, Cosby, which was his sec- next show after the Cosby show. Um, she did a Law and Order. She did an NYPD Blue. Basically all of the things. And she was in The Serpent and the Rainbow, which let me tell you, most movies don't scare me. That movie scared me. Yeah. Mainly it's the scene when you got Bill Pullman sitting on that wooden throne and they camera spike through his scrotum. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> um a- anyway, so she wants him settled like his sister Tracy. Tracy was played by Lynn Moody. And um she, of course, uh, has uh, had a bunch of knots landings, some Magnum's P.I. and uh, and other things. Uh, Chicago Hope. And uh, um, yeah, so, you know, she did stuff. Crossing Jordan, General Hospital. Hmm. Beverly Hills, 90210. And Ooh. Clueless, the TV series. Um, Classic. Yes. Uh, let's see here. So anyway, so that's, uh, that's my mama. Um, next up we have Chico and the man. So this is kind of a landmark series because it was built around a stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. We are jaded now because of course, like, we grew up with a lot of stand-up comedians getting their own show. Yep. Um, but that wasn't really the case then. And and remember we talked, there was like that um, stand-up uh, series on Amazon Prime we were talking about a while back. And they did mm-hmm. a lot of talking about Freddie Prince. Yes, they did. He right. And, and, um, and of course, uh, Jack Albertson played the man. And you know who else was in that series? I do not. Scat Man. Crothers. Oh, look at this. Everything's coming full circle. And Della Reese. And mm. um, yeah, so uh, Charo did six episodes. Um, six? 
Yeah, well, you know, she had to do it in between all of the uh, Love Boat episodes. Charo's usually a one and done. Well, there you have it. Not so much here. Um, and so, uh, but it, but it is, yeah, this whole thing of, of stand-up comedians. So, so it's a, a pivotal series. And of course, uh, Prince died before, um, the, uh, before the series finished. And, um, yeah. Which they, was sad. Did they just end the series or did they? No, uh, they kept going. They brought they did, in wow. a, a, they brought in a kid who kind of became the new Chico. Um, wow. Um, and he was played, and and I think this actually ties into some stuff. Um, he was played by Gabrielle Melgar. Um, and I'm just, just let me think of the, uh, so he was a he was a child actor, but I think uh, maybe I'm wrong. Okay, I thought. Wait, family. Um, no, okay. I thought maybe. Uh, no, I'm mixing him up with someone else. Um, anyway, uh, he was a kid who was kind of the the. In 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 the uh, in the early seventy or in the mid seventies, he was kind of the guy that did a lot of you know uh, playing that uh, Chicano kid, right? Right. So you know he did like he he of course did a love boat as you did back in the day. Uh, he did an episode of Chips, um, <clears throat> uh, but he was kind of the like after Freddie Prince died, they did this thing where they, you know, because the, the whole thing was that that uh the 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 man ed uh was mm-hmm. uh, played by jack albertson was um you know really kind of a, a a jackass and and chico kind of softened him right like mm-hmm. like uh gave him perspective on on uh, on other things and so when when freddie prince died they were like well we need to have like someone who is the the other side of that coin and uh, and so they brought this kid in, and I and I and I, I ha- still have a memory of of watching that episode where um, where the kid comes in, the kid falls asleep, and and he's like, "You have a good sleep, Chico," and that was kind of his, you know, because oh. it, it really just it, oh yeah, it was uh, and, and but yeah. anyway, uh, the show lasted one more season. And uh, and then was canceled, you know, because you kind of lost the guy that the show was built around. Yeah. Right. Um, so so that was one that started that year. Um, and of course, Freddie Prinze catchphrase, because he always had to have the catchphrase was looking good. <laughs> and. um All right. So um, uh, they did one season of planet of the apes um which now if you if you like watch the movies it's basically the um the last movie is is an an edit of all of these uh these the tv series really yeah so so if you get like there's like a box set of all the movies and and the last one or two is is basically a, a a an amalgam of um of the uh, of the TV series, wow! Huh. 
Um, across the pond, they had some sitcoms, and one of them uh, that I remember my dad really enjoying was uh, Rising Damp, which starred Leonard Rossiter. Not perhaps a name we all know, but uh, no. but he was uh, he was a very popular actor in England at the time, and he did another series called The Rise and Fall, or The Fall and Rise, sorry, of Reginald Perrin that was really funny, uh, that ran from 1976 to 1979, and he was just one of these sort of great uh, comedy guys. And it behooves us to remember that uh, sometimes there was stuff going on in other places that generally speaking, uh, American TV would uh, would uh, would, you know, plunder for eventually steal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, remember, this is only a couple of years before Three's Company started. Um, Nova started. Um Oh, wow. You know, like Nova, the, the documentary. Show? Yeah, yeah, that's when this started. Well, that's but crazy. Another great one from across the pond was The Sweeney. And this was a cop show um, that was pretty hard-edged. Uh, I think um, I think Sean had it on one of his lists when we did, like, 70s action shows. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it started in 74 and it was uh, Jack Regan and uh, George Carter are hard edged detectives in the flying squad of London's Metropolitan Police. They pursue villains by methods which are underhanded and often illegal, frequently violent and more often than not successful. Um, And it was, you know, it's one of those things like I remember when uh, Life on Mars, like the. Yep. The uh, the there was the British version and they tried it, an American version that didn't really do that well. Didn't do so uh, well. No, no. But um, but anyway, um, you know, there was a lot of talk of the Sweeney around that time. It ran for four years uh, uh, starting in 74. Another thing that started in 74 that lasted for four years, Rhoda. Huh. Starring the wow. late uh, Valerie Harper. Um, with her sister, played by Julie Kavner. That's right, Marge Simpson. Wow. The doorman was played by uh, was the, the Carlton. The doorman was uh, played by the voice of Lorenzo Music, who Garfield. might be better known as Garfield. Exactly. Exactly. So he was the guy who did the voice of uh, Peter Venkman in the Ghostbusters cartoon as well. Really, which then gets funny because when, um, when it came time to do the Garfield movie, yeah, Bill Murray did the voice of Garfield. Oh, that's cool, <laughs> that's so great. Um, playing Rhoda's husband on the show where they got married in the eighth episode was David Grow. Um, who uh he's again he's one of those guys you recognize on everything he did a few episodes of baywatch in the 90s he did some he did five episodes of vip um you know because he was like i'll do all of the um um pamela anderson shows um but also you know did uh you know he was again one of those guys in the 70s and 80s. He's got three episodes of Murder, She Wrote, playing three different characters, Dr. Stan Garfield, <laughs> Gordon Tully, and Henry Waverly. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah, the 70s and 80s. Um, and partly 90s. Um, also Simon and Simon, Kate and Alley, Spencer for Hire. Wow. Dude has been in a bunch of uh, different stuff. And my, I remember him as D.L. Brock in General Hospital, right? Like when, <laughs> my, when my mom was watching it from 83 to 85. And, um, but yeah, most importantly, uh, Joe, Gar- Joe Gerard in, in Rhoda. And, and this is an interesting little factlet. Uh, his highly anticipated marriage to Valerie Harper on the eighth episode of Rhoda was the highest rated episode of that decade. And the second most watched program of all time uh, surpassed only by the birth of little Ricky on I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. More than 50 million viewers watching. Wow. So anyway, uh, kind of a neat. Uh, Do you remember fact. the. The trivia question I dropped on you once upon a time about how she got to her wedding. I don't. She took the subway. Right, because New York. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think something else had broken down and she had to take the subway. I don't think it was plan A, but. Yeah. <laughs> which which is funny because that seems like a very 90s. Uh, um, Right, like, like, kind of a a, a very '90s uh, uh, sitcom plot. Oh yes, yeah, right up there with uh, having to uh, deliver a baby in a in an elevator. Uh, in an elevator. Yes. What are you going to name him, Otis? Um, <laughs> uh, Angie Dickinson starred as policewoman again for another four years after starting in 1974. Um, another show that that started and didn't run very long, but it starred Darren McGavin. And uh, Darren McGavin is a guy you may remember uh, from uh, kind of a uh, a, a cult uh, player, um, but we remember him as the old man Parker in A Christmas Story. He was Brian Madison oh, yeah. in Billy Madison, like you know, did some stuff. He also starred as Agent Arthur Dales in two episodes of um, of uh, the X Files, and as Henry Black in Millennium, which was in the same universe. That's weird. Um, Not about that show. But the reason I bring oh, and he was in an episode of Fudge. Remember we were talking about that last week, Fudge. <laughs> Fudge. Um, the Fudge series. Um, but the reason I bring up Darren McGavin is because he was also, he played, you know, as I mentioned, he was in uh, a couple of Chris Carter series. And that's because uh, a big influence on both of those series was Kolchak, the Night Stalker. And he played Kolchak. He was a reporter for a Chicago newspaper, and through more accident than design, he ends up investigating homicides, many of which involve supernatural forces. Ultimately, rather than reporting on the crimes, he solves them. And um, I think they tried to do a remake of this um, a few years back. Um, hmm. Oh, and you know what's interesting is in three episodes was Carol Ann Susie, who was, of course, the voice of um, Mrs. Wallowitz. Oh, yeah. Huh. See, the things we're learning, sir. That's the awesome. 
we're learning. Um, but also involved in that uh, uh, series was a guy named David Chase, um, who's written some stuff. He, um, you know, wrote the 19, uh, he wrote on uh, The Untouchables. He wrote The Public Enemy, uh, um, or he was a fan of The Public Enemy, which led to him um, getting into a lot of this stuff. But of course, he's known as the creator of The Sopranos. Um, he was also a producer on the Rockford Files. More on that in a bit. Um, yeah, so he's done some stuff. Um, but yeah, Kolchak, the Night Talker, uh, Night Talker, the Night Stalker. He could have been a talker too. We don't know. I think he talked. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, very influential on that stuff. I think they tried remaking it with, um, oh God, what was his name? Um, here we go. We'll just search Kolchak. And let's look for a more recent Kolchak. Uh, no. Did it not happen? I just made it up. That couldn't be. Ah, here we go. Kolchak, the Night Stalker, 2017. Simon Townsend, wow. I'll betcha. I'll betcha it was Simon Townsend. Um, yeah. um, remake. Kolchak remake. This will find it. It was just called Night Stalker, and it came out in 2005. And Stuart Townsend. There we go. Uh, Co-starred uh, Gabrielle Union and among other people. But uh, yeah, Stuart Townsend, um, who was like the guy who was in. Um, he played Dorian Gray in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He was Lestat okay. in Queen of the Damned. Um, yeah. So you, you, you know the guy. Um Anyway, so he was in this in this version of it that did not do well, um, you know, because they were trying to remake it because it was kind of, uh, um, you know, it's 2005. We need our mystery series. And um, and that was the one that they went with. And, uh, eh, you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> also, starting in 1974, Land of the Lost. The, right, like the original original yeah land oh, wow. of the lost with marshall will and holly and holly <laughs> as opposed to marshall will and holly played by uh by will ferrell in uh jam and silent bob strike back correct and of course that is where his character got his name mm -hmm. that's awesome another thing that dude you and i could talk about this for ages um, and I think it was on, if it wasn't on my list or your list, it was on Sean's list of action shows from the seventies. It was the $6 million man. Oh, now we're talking 1974 to 1978. Okay. Let me talk about the Steve Austin stuff that I had. Okay. So I had the action figure that had like the <laughs> rubber roll up thing on his arm. So you could see yeah. the different module bionic modules that you could take out. Um, and of course, he had the bionic eye that you could look through. Mm -hmm. And um, in addition to that, I also had Maskatron. 
So Maskatron was like a robot that had like a similar module to the ones on uh, on Steve Austin's arm, but it ran. It was his whole face. But then you could put a thing on his face that that was like, oh, now he's Steve Austin. Oh, wait, no, I'll take that one off and I'll put another one on. Now he's Oscar Goldman and he's fooling Steve Austin into thinking he's his boss. Yes. And it was freaking cool. A friend of mine had the Oscar Goldman that had an exploding briefcase. (laughs) Dude. I love this stuff. And uh, great toys at the time. And and I talk about that. like your your yeah. your cultural linchpin for a decade. Right? Oh yeah. And and it's funny because that's the like these things are what got me into then there was like also um a series called Big Jim. And it was basically <laughs> very similar to uh um uh Doc Savage basically. It was like it was kind of like a toy version of that. And you had Big Jim, who was the commander, and then you had, you know, his all his operatives, and um, and I had a bunch of those too. Oh man, there was, you know, the kids today they have some fun toys, but the stuff we had was yeah. so much cooler. Yeah, no, there's no denying that. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a friend who had one of the uh, the. Uh, uh, the million dollar man dolls. I, I didn't have one, but uh, he was still pretty cool. Absolutely. And that was a show I used to watch with my dad all the oh, time. Even better. Yeah. Even it better. Was, oh, it was so cool. We loved it. And, and then he would like, you know, track down Sasquatch and, um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah. Anyway, lots of other um, great shows that, that came out. For example, Anytime you need a payment, anytime you need a friend, anytime you're out from under, not getting hassled, not getting hustled, keeping your head above water, making a <laughs> wave when you can. Temporary layoffs, good times. Good times. Easy credit ripoffs, good times. Good times. Scratching and surviving, good times. Good times. Hanging in and jiving. Good times. Ain't we lucky we got them? Good <laughs> times. And uh, and so this show, which we have seen on, uh, um, we saw like a, a, on Kimmel's thing where he does the Norman Lear thing. Uh, yep. Yeah. So oh, it was, of it course. Have, watch it live. Watch it live. Watch it live. Live no, in front of a studio audience. That's it. Watch it live is the Andy Cohen after show on Bravo. <laughs> oh, sir. Then you a, know that. Oh. That's a different thing. Yeah. Um. So when you think of good times. Excuse me. What do you think of? Uh, I think of the apartment set. Yeah. And uh, and somebody yelling Dino Might. Jimmy Walker. That's right. Yeah. Jimmy Walker, of course. Esther Roll, uh, who uh, like, like this was a spinoff of Maud. Yes. Right. Because she was Maud's maid. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you had uh, Esther Roll, 
as Florida Evans. Damn, 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 damn. Um, she was good. Uh, John mm-hmm. Amos as James Evans Sr. Uh, he didn't do the whole run because no. he uh, the show changed and uh, he wasn't into it. And so he quit and they killed off his character. Um, Jimmy Walker, again, as uh, James Evans Jr., JJ. Bernadette Stannis as Thelma Evans, Ralph Carter as Michael Evans, and uh, Janet Dubois as Wilona. And of course, she um, she did some uh, some some TV. Uh, she just died a couple of years ago, uh, but she did um, she did some some uh, some some songs at the time too. And I think she's the one who we heard. Uh, not only sing the Jefferson's theme, but I believe she co-wrote it. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Janet Jackson also did 48 episodes of that. Yes, that Janet Jackson. And she played uh, uh, Janet Janet Dubois' uh, foster daughter on the show. Um, Hmm. And so this was a show, and and hey, Stymie from The Little Rascals did six episodes before he passed. (laughs) That's right. so yeah, so good times, you know, uh, uh, create co-created by Norman Lear and Mike Evans. And you say, who's Mike Evans? Mike Evans was the original Lionel Jefferson. Oh wow! So he played Lionel on uh, All in the Family, because remember, like they, it started out where um, we ha- actually had a different George. Um, it was always uh, Isabel Sanford as as Wheezy, but. Um, so Mike Evans was, um, was Lionel and they did the first season of the Jeffersons. And then they actually recast Lionel because Mike Evans was too busy working on a different, uh, normally or sitcom. And that was this one. So he was one of the writers and creator. Um, interesting because people won't always select the writing gig over the uh, acting gig. Well, and that was it, but Often I think the other way around, but, you know, I think maybe part of it was, you know, he was like, maybe it's better if I own a show, hmm? you no, know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good plan. It's just most people can't see past the fame. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and clearly that wasn't a thing for him. And he, uh, he died, uh, in 2006, um, and, uh, at the age of 57, uh, that sure hurts. We, um, young. Yeah, it, exactly. Or at the he's, point where we say that's young. <laughs> he is but a child. And, um, but he got on board the Norman Lear TV train in the early 70s and, um, and got, a, you know, a ride to a sitcom stardom in both landmark comedy series and its black oriented spinoff. And so, um, you know, he was uh, he was in college and got this gig and uh, and hey, it worked out well for him. And, um, you know, he played he played Lionel in All in the Family. And then, uh, of course, uh, the Jeffersons. Uh, which actually started a year after this. So they were recurring characters on. Um, and I think like. You know, and he and uh, he and Jenny were um, 
like I think he came back to be uh, Lionel in 1978. Hmm. But he and his his writing partner, oh, sorry. Um, uh, Yeah, so they, they, he and his writing partner, Eric Monte, co-created and wrote for Good Times. And, um, and so he, because he had had to, you know, he, he, had started where he was still working on the Jeffersons, but because he was so busy writing the other show, he had to stop. And there was another guy who came in, uh, uh, Damon Evans, uh, no relation, um, to play, uh, Lionel. And he did it for four seasons. And then after, uh, good times got canceled, uh, he came back as Lionel, but he wasn't really on the show that much by that point, because, that just wasn't the focus of the show. And, uh, and you know, the Jeffersons ran until 1985. So it had a good 10-year run. And, um, yeah. So, anyway. Well, so again, I mean, go. that's a, a decade-defining show right there. You're, you're really getting into the meat and potatoes of the series. Right? Uh, yeah. It's just amazing. And as I say, like, uh, anyway, a great show. And uh, and that is why it is so noted. Um, also that year, Shazam! <laughs> That's right. The live-action Shazam series with uh, Billy Batson <clears throat> and Mentor riding around in, uh, in an RV and every now and then calling down the Mighty Lightning uh, to, uh, for, for Captain Marvel, the real Captain. I love the riding around in an RV because that is so... 70s nomadic hero like totally the, the hulk hitchhiking out of every episode they absolutely they their own car <laughs> and um so you had michael gray who played billy batson and um and yeah he and mentor would go and michael gray has also been the voice of michael gray on archer um and he actually has a cameo in fury of the gods um Les Tremaine uh, played mentor, and um, and this is a guy who was at, who did a lot of radio back in the day, and was one of the most distinctive voices behind behind only Bing Crosby and Franklin Roosevelt. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, so he did a, a ton of that, you know, War of the, the original uh, War of the Worlds movie, and. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of stuff until his death in 2003, which was at the age of 90. So, hey, a solid run. Uh, but yes, they used to have uh, for for Shazam, they would have like the elders talking to him. And it was like, the you know, all the, you know, uh, Solomon, Hercules, Atlas <laughs> and, and uh, Zeus, um, Achilles and Mercury. Did anybody famous play any of those? They were animated. Roles? Oh, okay. And uh, and then you had Jackson Bostwick playing, um, uh, who played um, uh, Captain Marvel. And I'm checking. I'm checking. You know what I'm checking. Um, oh, I thought maybe he was uh, related to. Um, Barry Bostwick, but it doesn't seem so. Because wouldn't that be cool? So we're full circle. 
Yeah. So you were checking right? to see if Scatman Jack had a part. <laughs> Scatman Crothers, exactly. Sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, so there you go. All right. Another show that started in 1974. Ran for 10 years. Um, the guy who was supposed to be the star at the beginning ended up getting replaced by a kind of a breakout character in that first season. Can you guess what this show is? 70s. Uh, no, I cannot. It was uh, Happy Days. Oh, my God. I even thought yeah. Happy Days. Yeah, oh, Happy great. Days ran 1974 to 1984. And, of course, started out really focusing more on, uh, I mean, hey, Ron Howard was a lead character throughout his entire run on it and beyond, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the Fonz was meant to be a background character and eventually became the absolute superhero focus of the series. Um, with literal superpowers. Um, <laughs> right. Yep. And I, I mean, my, my love of happy days is well-documented. I, um, it's come up, you know, I, I talked, I, I talked at length in back in the day about my, uh, big rewatch of the, of the series. And I continue to record it every day. And it's like, okay, I'm going to delete that one. I'm going to delete that one. Oh, I'm going to watch this one. And um, and yeah, it's it's a show I I still have much love for, and uh, Henry Winkler is a goddamn treasure. And uh, legend. And I have not yet. I know we're a couple of episodes into Barry into the last season of Barry now. I have not yet watched mm-hmm. it. I'm going to let it build up a bit. This is a product of having watched the first three seasons uh, in a weekend. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can wait. So anyway, um, I I can't wait to see what uh, what what he does in that. Um, and of course, as we know, many spinoffs of Happy Days. Laverne and Shirley, Many. for example, um, Mork and Mindy, yeah. and uh, other ones that didn't, you know, Blansky's Beauties and uh, Out of the Blue, and you know, Joni loves Chachi. Joni, Joni loves Chachi. They, they were all gems, folks. <laughs> but I will tell you about <laughs> one gem, and that is, um, ah, that didn't start until. Technically, it didn't start until 75. It doesn't belong on this list. Um, I guess it started sort of in the last year of, I'll, I'll mention it. Barney Miller started just nice. at the end of 74. Of course, uh, Hal Linden played Barney Miller, the captain of the NYPD 12th Precinct. Mm-hmm. And um, with guys like Ron, the late Ron Glass, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who we, we know as you know the as as book from uh, that show with the stuff, Firefly, the Fireflies. Um, here, to, here to help. <laughs> there you go. Um, also, uh, we had uh, Jack Sue as Detective uh, y- Nick Yamana, Abe Vigoda as Fish. There's a guy who who was long lived. Um, Max Gale, still with us as uh, as Wojo, 
and uh, yeah, and again, Helen is still with us, so yay. Um, a hell of a multicultural show at the time. It really was, you know, and a, and a fascinating cop show in that, you know, they they played the action off screen. And it yeah. was everybody talking about what happened and reacting to what happened. And it was all paperwork. <laughs> it, it was. It was very much yeah. that other side of it. And and they made it work. Yeah. You know, there's that that uh, great episode of Clerks the Cartoon uh, series where basically everything happens outside the store. And it's like increasingly crazy stuff that happens. And that was very much based on the idea of of uh, Barney Miller, where it was like, you know, all these things would happen off screen and then they would kind of kind of, you know, give their reactions to it. And, um, you know, for example, um, as I uh, reach here. Oh, oh, wait, wait, there's physics happening. Physics. It's Uh science, folks. It's science. He's falling out of the chair. And no gravity wins again. Oh, took him offline. It broke him. He could kill his mic. Hopefully, he's back. He is not back. I am back. There he is. Did my you pull your plug back. there? What happened? Am I, yeah, the plug yeah, came out. It was it was a hell of a thing. And there was a grand moment in there. The drama. Oh, even better. The drama. All right. So, um, but yes, yeah, so lots to, uh, you know, speaking of things that happen off off, off screen. There you, there you yeah. go. That's, that's me bringing You're Acting one out for us. Verite. Very little, little theater of the mind there. That's a little exciting. bit. All right. Another fantastic show. That, and, and Barney Miller ran uh, until 1982. Uh, running only until 1980, but starting in 1974, The Rockford Files. <laughs> I mean, wow. uh, again, like we're talking about shows that made our lists of uh, of 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 70s action shows. And this was a big one. Uh, Stephen mm-hmm. J. Cannell. Uh, uh, the creator of the show, and you had um, Noah G- Noah Beery Jr. playing uh, um, Rockford's dad, and sometimes uncle. But that was a whole other thing. Um, did I lose you? No, I'm still here. No. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah. So, so Noah Beery. Um, uh, playing, uh, who also did a murder she wrote, and a Trapper John MD, and a Love Boat. Like that's isn't that the um, the seventies eighty trifecta exactly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the hat trick. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. So tons of stuff. Um, you know, like he was in a Benji movie as well. Well, it just loves Benji. Yeah, that was the show called Every. Uh, oh, he did a couple of episodes as of the Six Million Dollar Man as two different characters, <laughs> um, like you do. 
as one does. Like you do. I I feel like uh, I remember getting from the um, uh, the Scholastic Book Club. <laughs> now you're taking me back. Well, yeah. When I, uh, <laughs> oh, dude, just you wait a couple of years. Seriously, <laughs> the boy's going to start bringing that stuff home. You're going to be in. Um. Yeah, I felt. I thought I remembered seeing him in uh, one of the books for um, about Benji, because you know I was a kid in the seventies. Um, but uh, but I don't see it, so maybe I'm wrong. Um, anyway, um, so not only him, but <laughs> of course, Scott and Crop. No. Um, Scatman Crothers was not on the show, uh, but uh, but Joe Santos was. He did 109 episodes, and um, and he was a guy you used to see in a lot of cop shows. Um, and, and he also did like seven episodes of The Sopranos, and um, yeah, he was kind of like a staple of cop shows and and mob and as a result mob shows uh but also like he was he was the lieutenant so think of like the current um magnum and you know the the guy you know his guy on the on the police force he was that guy basically for rockford and so showed up in a lot of the rockford uh movies and he played a mob boss in NYPD blue uh angelo marino and uh that was a good one um Ah, oh, damn. Hmm. A couple of episodes of Hunter. Um, you know, just showed up in a lot of those things. Showed up in an episode of Quantum Leap, sir. Oh, now we're talking. Uh, Quantum Leap. Now, now we're, we're into your pedigree, uh, pedigree on the resume. There you go. There you go. And uh, he was uh, he was the mafia when uh, Sam leaped into a mafia hitman who may not yep. live long since he's romancing the Godfather's girlfriend. Yes. And also an attempt to bring Sam home causes the 1965 East Coast blackout. That's a great episode. Yeah. Terry Garber uh, playing uh, Teresa Pachi. Um, and uh, Terry Garber isn't at all who I thought she was. Isn't that interesting? Oh. Yeah. But she did a cold case. So. Oh, there you go. Well, now she's yeah. You know, now, no now she's hit my credibility. <laughs> um, <laughs> she was also, uh, um, she also had an ER on her resume. You know, to uh, to bring it all in together for uh, for Sarah. Um, all right. So anyway, oh, and uh, he also did uh, uh, Joe uh, Santos. Um, also did um you're gonna love this you ready you ready, ready for it two episodes of murder she wrote one as joe rinaldi and and the second as mypd lieutenant bert alfano <laughs> five episodes speaking of being the magnum cop um as uh police lieutenant nolan page on magnum the original magnum pi Wow. Um, 10 episodes of Hardcastle and McCormick. 
Oh, baby. You're feeling it. You're feeling oh. it. Anyway. So, yeah. There's a show I can't get enough of to this day. Yeah. So there you go. The Rockford Files, like, led to so many things. And it's great on its own. I mean, really, again, Stumptown is the female Rockford. Yep. Like, that is that is what, you know, Greg, Greg Rucka makes no bones about it. That's what he was writing. And yeah. folks, read that stuff, by the way. Did you ever do a Republic of Doyle over on CBC? I haven't watched that. I should. You should really. I feel like it it's along those lines. Try a couple. It? Oh, yeah. it's it's full on Rockford Files. The the guy yeah. who wrote it, who plays the lead, said, "Yep, I was a Rockford Files kid, and, and oh. that's all this is." <clears throat> then I need to check that out because it's Rockford Files set in in Newfoundland. <laughs> so tell it, me it that is, doesn't already. Yeah. It is a show know? that is all but written for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other one that is. Uh, Important to mention is Little House on the Prairie. Really? Ran from 1974 to 1983. And uh, on IMDb, it is uh, one of the higher higher rated ones of, of that time. Um, wow. Ran for a ton of time. Michael Landon, of course, uh, previous to that was, uh, was Little Joe on Bonanza. <laughs> would later do other stuff you know he would uh he would after that get into um uh what was it highway to heaven yep was that the big one yeah and yeah, yeah. um uh so he was on it melissa gilbert um yep the older sister of uh of uh sarah. darlene uh, sarah gilbert darlene on uh on the connors and roseanne um I always used to think, oh yeah, they do look alike. Turns out uh Sarah Gilbert was adopted. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you know purely so you're uh, trying to do the math there. Yeah, nature versus nurture. It was uh yeah. Um anyway, um Melissa Gilbert, of course, a former president of the Screen Actors Guild, uh I began was mention that. Yeah. yeah, began her career as a child actress in the late 60s. I believe for a number of years, was she not married to Bruce Boxleitner? That Maybe sounds right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of her children is named Michael Boxleitner. Well, that'll do it. Possibly named after uh, Michael Landon. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, they were married from 1995 until 2011. Before that, she was married. Oh, before that, she was married to some guy named Bo Brickman, who I, I I'm not familiar with, but uh, they were married, uh, and he was in some stuff. But yeah, I think is best known <laughs> as as Mister Melissa Gilbert for a while. Um, but she was married to uh, to Boxleitner, and since 2013 has been married to Timothy Busfield. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. That's what I say. Huh. Um, and her dad was Paul Gilbert, not the guitar player from Mr. Big. Um, but he was an actor who was in a whole bunch of stuff. And I remember seeing, uh, there is actually a picture of Paul Gilbert, the guitarist from Mr. Big, posing over his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, because, you know, it's got his name on it. Um, anyway. 
so yeah, Little House on the Prairie it was a big deal show. Uh, Melissa Sue Anderson, who would go on to play Nancy Drew. Um, uh, yeah, just you know, it, it was a big show at the time, and uh, I I remember my my sister was a huge fan. In fact, we ended up basically from then on. Uh, when my sister got into it in the early eighties, uh, that our parents became ma and pa and, um, <laughs> and because, because my sister, you know, at, at like seven or eight years old started calling him that because of watching, uh, watching the show. So it, 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 it just stuck. And, um, you know, much the in the one same I way. I remember was, yep. uh, the episode of WKRP. Uh, where Herb and Lucille, uh, the Tarlicks, go on the show uh, Real People. Yeah. Or something like that. And um, they're trying to create a better image than they actually than they actually have. Like many people uh, do. Um, yeah. Survivor, con- or, uh, uh, Big Brother contestants to the contrary. Yep. <laughs> absolutely yeah and but, uh um but she's she says oh we only watch wholesome shows because there's too much violence on tv in their opinion so she only watches wholesome shows like the last in the prairie where you know somebody dies of dysentery every week and <laughs> she realizes as she's saying it that uh uh that you know maybe trying to class things up she's made it worse yeah exactly <laughs> yeah she exactly. does it in that in that perfect uh a perfect voice that she has where she sounds all sweet. Totally. Let's choose that, that disease where people shit themselves to death. Um, yeah. Uh, like Isaac from ghosts. Oh, I thought you were going back to the love boat. No, no. (laughs) Isaac from ghosts. He died of dysentery. (laughs) Yes, he did. And yes, which basically, you know, pooped himself, um, uh, to death. Um, the way to go. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, Karen Grassel, who played the mom on uh, Little House on the Prairie, you know, she kind of, you know, she did a couple of murder she wrote. Sorry, murders she wrote. And <laughs> um, <laughs> after Little House on the Prairie ended its run. And um was in the movie Wyatt Earp and then kind of took a, like that was in 1994, kind of took a break until 2012. And she's just shown up in a couple of things every few years, you know, still working. Good for her. Good for her. Um, All right. So that is uh, TV from 1974. Wow. Kind of neat, right? Like a lot of stuff yeah. that is incredibly influential on things that we love, and yes. uh, and again, as I say, just a a a a hotbed of the thing, the, you know, like like sort of a, a locus point of the things that that the three of us chose for our action movies, our action TV shows of the seventies. Yeah, um, and you you'd expect those to be spread out a little more across the decade, but it seems like a real. Uh, it's surprising how many year. of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk uh, songs of the 70s. Uh, songs of 1974. Oh, 
Okay. I feel like this is a time life for CD set waiting to be. It, it really <laughs> is. It really is. Um, and you know, I kind of, I kind of want to. I feel like I want to start, you know, down on the list, but you know, so so we're just talking like top hits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Joker by the Steve Miller Band came out in nineteen seventy four. You know, little songs. Yeah, yeah. It was uh it's number 40 on the Billboard chart of that uh, chart of that year. But hey, it has lived long, right? Mhm. Um uh Abba's hit Waterloo was n- at number 49 and it was the winner of that year's um the European uh Eurovision, Eurovision. song contest. Yeah. Keep in mind the Eurovision Song Contest. It will come up later. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, I, I mentioned, so yeah, the Joker, the car, the Carpenter's Top of the World yeah. uh, came out that year. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, <laughs> Ringo Starr's Very Awkward, You're 16. Um um, it was it was close enough when you guys were you know um uh, 10 years earlier singing about she was just 17 yeah. um yeah um uh rock me gently by a- andy kim which has made it uh show up in uh in in a few uh tv commercials you know rock me gently na-na-na. yeah anyway yeah uh, Andy Kim, of course, also the guy who wrote uh, Sugar Sugar, um, which for all of people thinking the counterculture was strong in the late 60s, Sugar Sugar was a number one song. Just saying. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot, a national treasure, mm-hmm. had Sundown. Uh, Paul Anka, father-in-law of Jason Bateman, you're having my baby. Um, Jim Croce, Time in a Bottle. Wow. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite albums of all time, uh, Paul McCartney and Wings, Band on the Run. (laughs) So this is a record that they went to record in Africa. And... um, and uh, they they had a whole bunch of stuff that they'd recorded, a whole bunch of demos that they'd put together uh, as they were doing a lot of writing in the studio. And they actually got um, robbed on the way from the, they were taking the tapes with them because they were worried about the, uh, the tapes getting stolen uh, from the studio. And they actually got robbed at gunpoint. And... Um, on their way back from uh, from the studio to the hotel. So they had to start all over again. And it is an album that is basically, it is McCartney. It is uh, his wife, Linda, and uh, and Denny Lane, who was, uh, if you ever heard the song Go Now by um, by the Hollies, he was the guy in the Hollies at the, at the time. And um, so it was just the three of them. So, uh, you know, McCartney played 90% of what was on that record. And um, it's just one of my favorite albums of all time is just so much going on in there. And, um, and to me still holds up 
fantastically and uh you know just some great songs uh performed beautifully and um you know rivals a lot of his uh work with that other group um and you might remember this one scott do you remember this one hookah chaka hookah hookah <laughs> that's right uh blue swedes version blue Swede? of hooked on a feeling hooked on a feeling yeah so hooked on a feeling of course uh by bj thomas you know the raindrops mm-hmm. keep falling on my head guy uh he did the his guy version who sang the theme song to growing pains is that right I did not know that. I'm assuming that that was a, um, a, a written by Alan Thicke though. Cause how do you have a show with Alan Thicke where he doesn't write the theme where he doesn't write the theme song, right? I'm assuming so, but, but I didn't realize that that's really cool. Oh, God damn. Um, very nice. Um, all right. So yeah. Hooked on a feeling number 20, uh, David Essex rock on. Um, kind of a, um, like Michael Damien, who was like a, a soap actor, uh, did a version of it in the late eighties and, uh, Hey kids, rock and roll, rock on that one. Yeah. So that, uh, David Essex was the guy who, uh, who wrote and sang that and, um, uh, spiders and snakes by Jim Stafford. This feels like something that would have been on a dumb ditties. That's uh, all I'm I not recognizing, but yeah, it's one of those like you know, um, sort of novelty songs of the 70s. Hmm. Would have been on hmm. a KTAL commercial for sure. Um, Midnight of the Oasis by uh, Maria Muldar was another big one. Um, this one, uh, Jungle Boogie by Cool and the Gang, <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, which. God uh was was on the pulp fiction soundtrack. Yes. And uh it's an incredible song. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Just a great arrangement uh the whole bit. So yeah, Jungle so Boogie. So was hooked on a feeling. Absolutely. Hooked on a feeling was was on there too, yeah. It was, you're right. Absolutely. The hits um, of the 70s weekend playing on the exactly. radio through the whole movie so the soundtrack was gorgeous. I was uh, oh, I was out with some some people last night and we were talking and one of the guys mentioned like we were listening the playlist that that was on was was like almost as though there was a rule that it's like this this thing you're you're recording you can only use samples from 70s soul songs and it was glorious and one of the guys said uh said at one point he's like you know what you really need in between in between these songs is uh is stephen wright as the dj (laughs) again reservoir dogs um all right, uh, Benny and the Jets wow. by uh, Elton John. There was also The Streak, uh, by Ray Stevens, and Ray Stevens was a guy <laughs> who, who did a lot of novelty <laughs> stuff, right? Yep, he also did some some big main stuff, yeah, absolutely. Um, he did the music for uh, Cannibal Run, that's right, yeah, exactly. And he did Misty. Um, guitar Zan and his jungle band. I used yep. to, uh, when I was in uh, high school, I used to go to a guitar store called Guitar Zan, uh, named yeah. for that song. You got Chet's guitar course, COD. He digs A and E, and he's working on D. And me and the chimpanzee agree that someday soon he will be a celebrity 
Yes. Get it. Get it. You get it. Ow. It's a hand. <laughs> I'm going to be lost now for a while. That's <laughs> but, awesome. Uh, I mean, the streak is so good. Margaret. It's fantastic. Mar- Margaret. 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 Margaret, you shameless hussy. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was over there in the tomatoes. <laughs> uh, right? Did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> um, That's great stuff. Let's see. Um, I don't really know the TSOP, the Sound of Philadelphia, a 74 hit. Um, I definitely need to check it out. It was the theme for uh, Soul Train. Um, Oh, wow. All right. Next up, The Locomotion by Grand Funk Railroad. I didn't know Kylie Minogue was that old. (laughs) Don't you dare. Um, (laughs) And so this was a remake of it, but... uh, but yeah, it's a great sort of rock and roll version of the locomotion, and um, still a uh, classic rock radio uh, uh, staple. Dancing Machine at number five by the Jackson Five. Oh, don't know if you've heard of them, Scott. Yeah, they're a little indie group. Yeah. Uh, at number four, a song by Redbone. And uh, where you'll where you will remember this is um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Come and get your love. Oh wow! It is a fantastic song, and um, and and something I will be forever grateful to James Gunn for uh, for getting it in that movie. Um, yeah. You know that mixtape is. Oh, you know, between that and um oh god. Um this is gonna drive me nuts because it's a song I know so well, but I haven't, you know, I'm like working through it in my head um to uh, to get me to where I'm at the chorus. And um it is um, fooled around and fell in love. Oh God, it's okay. killing me, killing me. Um, but yeah, so just a, a killer soundtrack, of course. And uh, mm-hmm. there it is, number four in uh, in 1974. Come and get your love. Um, Love's theme was number three uh, the, by the Love Unlimited Orchestra, and couldn't tell you anything about it but it was an instrumental piece uh, that Barry White had written. You know, Barry White. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There is um, a dentist named Barry White at the mall. Uh, uh, You know, so when we are on our way to the parking parking lot, every time we pass his sign, I'll say to whoever's with me, oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Chances are it was a different Barry White. I feel like it's probably not the same dude. Yeah, should be. Anyway, um, so yeah, um, then number two, we had joy, we had fun, we had seasons, seasons in the sun. In the sun, yes. Terry Jacks uh, was uh, was was he had the number two song. In uh, in 1974, and um, 
yeah, they've done all right with it. Um, it was a Christmas number one in the UK for Westlife in 1999. And getting the Christmas number one is a big deal um, in, in the UK. Um, and I, I almost think that, um, you know, it, it, like there's a, a favorite podcast of mine called uh, um, The Hip Parade um, that, from Slate that actually gets into a lot of this. And they've had a, done a few episodes on the Christmas number one. And it is a fascinating contest um, it, <laughs> it, that includes people really trying to kind of juke the odds to uh, to get like bizarre choices in. Um, anyway, so, yeah. Um, and interestingly, um, Terry Jacks, uh, also had an involvement with the Beach Boys at one point. Uh, they wanted him to, uh, when, when the sessions for Smile fell apart, um, the Beach Boys asked him to produce, uh, their album Surf's Up. Um, and they actually tried a version of Seasons in the Sun, but it didn't work well. And, uh, and they decided not to do it. Uh, but they did, um, this was around when they did a really cool song called Feel Flows that he worked with them on. And um and it, it shows up on the uh almost famous soundtrack. Um anyway, so there you go. That is that is that. Um when now when Jax recorded his version of Seasons in the Sun in 73, um the uh piano parts and some of the double bass parts in the second verse were done by some guy named David Foster. Oh, well, it's nice when they can give some up and comer a chance. Exactly. A Canadian good Canadian boy. Um <laughs> and number one, it's Babs. Barbara really? Streisand, yeah. Um, the song. Doing, what? Doing. I'm trying to figure out the song. Yeah. Uh, it's from uh, the movie. Um, it was, yeah. Uh, the way we were. That is correct. Uh-huh. Well done, hey, sir. We hey, hey. Um, by Martin Hamlish, uh, who uh, created the final melody for it. Um, and uh, she had asked him to produce a, a composition in a minor key, but he instead wrote it in a major key due, due to his uh, fear of the song's lyrics being revealed too quickly. And it was a whole thing. There was a conflict between them, but they made it all work. And uh, Misty Colored Memories of the Way We Were. Uh, it was actually written by Alan Bergman, uh, Marilyn Bergman, and Martin Hamlish. Um, who, and... Uh, Alan and Marilyn wrote a lot of movie songs and uh, Hamlish was just kind of one of those guys. He, uh, he is an EGOT. Ooh. Yeah. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo for him. Um, he died in, in 2012, but, um, but is one of the rare EGOTs. And I, uh, um, of course, uh, his first major stage work was playing piano for Groucho Marx at Carnegie Hall. Um, he also composed the scores for the uh, for a chorus line. <laughs> That's probably where he got his Tony. <laughs> Just saying. I feel like that could have been it. <laughs> um, in- 
interestingly, he also worked on the soundtrack for the movie Daryl, D-A-R-I-Y-L, um, which was like a, about a boy what, who was Disney a... the Android robot thing? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, was it the Disney? I don't know if it was Disney, but it was that. But you've nailed the rest of it. So um, oh, thank, you. thank you. But he he so he's an egot. So one of the what eighteen of those, but he is one of only two people to have won all four of those and a Pulitzer. Ooh. Uh, Richard Rogers of Rogers and Hammerstein fame is the other one. Um, huh. He's won three or more. He's one of 10 people to win three or more Oscars in one night and only one other than a director or, and the only one other than a director or screenwriter to do so. He's also won two golden globes. He earned 10 golden globe award nominations, winning twice for best original song, um, life is what you make it in 1972, and this song, "The Way We Were," in 1974. Um, so that's kind of cool, right? Uh, he became yeah. in 1974. He became the second person uh, to win three Academy Awards in the same evening, following Billy Wilder in 1961. And it was all for "The Way We Were" and for the original score of "The Sting." Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's well deserved. At a boy, at a boy, Marvin Hamlish, look at you. Um, anyway, a- another thing of note is that the uh, producer of the way we were was a guy named Martin Page. He was an American pianist, composer, arranger, record producer, music director, and conductor. And um, he arranged work for people like Peggy Lee. Ella Fitzgerald, Stan Kenton, Buddy Rich, Ray Brown, Shorty Rogers, Ray Charles, and many more. Um, but uh, one of the other things about Marty Page that is kind of neat is uh, his son is David Page of Toto, who played on a little record called Thriller, um, and also is the writer of Africa by Toto. Hmm. And uh, I heard on one of my favorite podcasts, the Soda Jerkers on songwriting, they had an interview with him and he comes off as just a real, just a real humble dude uh, who's like, I just do this thing. And, um, and, it, it, you know, and, and was every time that they said, we love this thing that he did, he's like, do you really? <laughs> it was just so, so much humility. Anyway, so Marty hmm. Page, um, who basically used to bring his kid to work and um, and his kid learned all this stuff from him and became like a, a great session player. And then uh, and and then uh, and then kind of, you know, found his own thing as well. Um, and, and so that's just neat. So there we go. That's music of 1974. And I think we have uh, we have thoroughly looked at the at the year that was, and um, and Scott, I, it brings me to a an important question: is what is your pop of the week? Well, it's funny you should ask. Uh, we've already uh, skirted it a little bit, and I had to remain silent at the time that you mentioned it because I wanted to save my comments for now. But I uh, love it. I'm going. I'm going with Barry because I have nice. finally. I, I, 
I binged my way through three seasons and I've watched yeah. the first two of the fourth season. And nice. I am as caught up as you can be right now. You are. You are oh, more caught damn, up than it's I. a good show. Right? It's fantastic. Like that 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 last season, and again, it was uh, funnily enough, it was an episode of Good One that inspired me to finally get off my ass and watch the show, uh, because they had Bill Hader on talking about the fina- the season three finale, and it's like, well, I can't listen to this episode of Good One until I listen to until I watch that show, and so I watched it over a weekend, and and it's fantastic, right? It's great. And that I bit mean, where he has his hands glued to the steering wheel <laughs> is one of the funniest goddamn things I've ever seen. Yep. Yeah. The, it, it, uh, it never ceases to make me laugh. Oh, it's, it's so great. Uh, the, it's, it's interesting because I mean, you come into it with, you know, you, you know, you love, you love the lead like Bill's, Bill's fantastic. Uh, but you get Stephen Root running around and, Oh, you know, God, he's so one of those good. guys who can do no wrong since the days of Jimmy James on news radio. Yep. For me. You're damn right. And then, I mean, Henry Winkler, Henry Winkler's renaissance um, leading up to his first Emmy finally for the first season of the show. Has like been, how ridiculous is that? Right. But, yeah. but well, well, or how great was it? And how wonderful is he? Oh, um, so great. I mean, uh, all stories continue to be that he's just the sweetest man in Hollywood. Oh, he, yeah, there's no doubt. And about he's that. having, he's having so much fun playing this character. You can see it. Yeah. Um, and it's so great to be happening, but with the three of them running up front, I think you really, it's easy to overlook um, the two next supporting actors. Uh, uh, the one playing Sally. Uh, uh, is it Silverman? Is that her name? Um, and the dude playing, uh, the dude playing Hank. <laughs> that guy could read the phone book as that mm-hmm. character and I would tune in to watch it. Every one of his scenes, I always, whatever, I'm, if I'm doing something else, it is a put down whatever it is and pay attention because <laughs> he is, he's fantastic. It's, it could be such a cheap, easy character and somehow he's found a way to make it, um, you know, someone who's that absurd and that much of a clown be semi-believable. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's Sarah Goldberg plays uh, oh, Sally. It. And uh, yeah, she's astounding. Um, I, I struggled Ooh. with her a lot initially because um, just the character. I really didn't care for the character initially, and so and that was kind of the point. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I know. and it, it's one of those things where I I always need the extra time to see past that to appreciate mm-hmm. the work the person's doing. It's always a stumble block for me. I'm I'm not so bad that I'm one of those people who's yelling at an actor on the street because I hate their character. <laughs> not that much of an idiot, but um, there Close. is always a little <laughs> there's, there's a little uh, a little gap there where I need to, uh, um, you know, catch up for lack of a better word. Fair, but uh, it's been it's been great. And with this recent season where you start getting random people popping up to play characters, um, like it's it's. Hollywood's coming up to play now, and yeah. as they make fun of L.A. as part of what they're doing, they need people around to 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 breathe life into the 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 universe they've created. And so, um, absolutely, that random Mark Paul Gosler appearance in one of the episodes was was funny, and it's uh, yeah, I'm uh, really enjoying it a lot. It's a really funny 
So I'm I'm trying to convince Sarah to check it out, and if she does, I'll watch it with her whenever our schedules line up. But uh, damn good show. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And I mean, it really comes down to, uh, if I remember correctly, like, um, I think Hater is directing all of the episodes this season. That's what they said, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's a a great interview up on uh, Jimmy Kimmel from just this last week. Um, If you're looking to see one, (laughs) it's uh, it's got a lot of stuff in it. I mean, they talk about the show, but he also talks about... uh, um, they talk about Henry Winkler specifically. Um, he also tells a funny story about finding out that he's related to Carol Burnett as part of that Who Do You Think You Are series. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's but, you know, Kimmel helps make things uh, more awkward by then playing a really old interview clip of him talking about having a crush on Carol Burnett. <laughs> Creepy. It's uh, Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I think... Um... You know, Hater has really, really done something great here, and yeah. uh, and, and I mean, it was solid from the beginning, and uh, and, yeah. and it's just built so much, and uh, and I really want to savor this last season because all of them are just doing killer work. Yeah, yeah, I have eight episodes left in a series that I didn't watch before last week <laughs> so i'm i'm, I'm that's amazing gonna be i love some that to me on this mm-hmm. but uh i'll enjoy it while it lasts and, and yeah it's, it's, uh, you mentioned a- a- anthony harrigan as no whole hank and yes. um he played uh he did a bunch of episodes on gotham playing uh yeah uh, victor victor's oz whatever the hell yeah you pronounce yeah zats yeah and yeah. um he you know he was all like he was also in five episodes of parenthood that i just don't remember i had the same problem yeah when I that. um but uh but i do remember him and bill and ted face the music and uh he seems like he might have been playing a uh, death junior or something basically well, yeah. i don't know who he was actually playing but well it says dennis caleb mccoy but yeah you're right um yeah. And he was in a couple of episodes of early episodes of The Flash playing The Mist. Yes, he did a couple of those. Yeah. So I don't remember that either, but Oh, I, I remember that, yeah. But yeah, because it was it coincided with my Starman re uh reread, which oh. of course tied into the mist. <laughs> um so yeah, lots of lots of great stuff there. Oh, such a good yeah. show. You're right. And and it's amazing how quickly you can watch, you can patch yourself up on that series, right? Yeah, because uh, they're half hour episode episodes, seasons, basically. Yeah, you just chug through it. It was uh, it was pretty great. I appreciated being able to to catch up that well, and that I knew that it was going to be a, a brief time commitment, but the the quality of it was such that uh, regardless of of uh, of how much time it took it's worth it it's pretty and, uh, amazing how good it is and how thorough it feels in such a short time period yeah like like and those really are those are short episodes next. but they are dense yeah yeah absolutely it's uh 
I tone wise, it's it's got a real kind of gross point blank quality to it. I mean, oh, that is, that is the, the the best comparison, totally. You I mean, know, I mean, it's also it's about a hitman, so um, so easy but still accurate. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like name the other. Um, <laughs> The other, so, you, you know, the other thing about a, um, you know, sort of a serious yet also comedic um, hitman. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so. you, you really can't go wrong with that. And I'm delighted to hear that you've enjoyed it this much. Yeah, really good. Um, it's a big recommendation. It was the other one that this weekend I was trying to convince my uh my brother and my cousin, when I saw them, they needed to check this one out. Yeah. Yeah. And I am uh, was relieved that I could get to it. It was one that I had for a while. I'd seen the first episode or two. Kind of fell off the PVR so that I couldn't watch it on anything other than uh-huh. uh, the app. And, or on the actual PVR box. And then we started running out of space. And then I think somebody had given me a copy of it. So that let me take it off the PVR but the timer still existed. And so in the lead up to season four coming out, they started re-airing the entire series. Right. And so I just looked at the PVR one day and I had eight episodes of Barry and I realized, Oh, it's the whole first season. Let's check that out. <laughs> and then the next weekend I got the whole second season. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, this is great. I think I see how this is going to work out now. And it did very happy. Very nice. Yeah, so that's that is mine. Uh highly recommend. I think it's available on Crave question mark. It is. That's where I watched it. Yeah. There we go. And uh how about you, sir? Oh, I got nothing. Um no way. No, I I do have something. Actually, um Well, I should warn you more than just you know springing on you like this. That's really unfair to me. No, I mean really. Um how I I apologize for it. It's almost like I dozed off during this episode and you've woken me up to ask me this question. Well, I mean, that would be Deep a rude cut. thing to do. So Deep I appreciate cut. that. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, stay awake, dude. It's literally the least you can do. Literally. All right. Um, <laughs> mine is, uh, I mentioned, uh, of course, that 19, and, and this was a pure coincidence, uh, but... I mentioned that the the one of the one of the top songs in 1974 was uh, Waterloo by ABBA. Mm-hmm. And you told me to remember that. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. And here's where it all comes to bear, um, which uh, won the 1974 um, Eurovision Song Contest. And uh, you know, I still have uh, the, these memories of. Uh, of uh, Monty Python uh, doing a uh, bit about the um, where something suddenly, uh, you know, hardcore interview suddenly turns into like a trivia game. And one of the thing is the hammers, the hammers are the name for what, what uh, football team. And, uh, and then it gets to, um, and what won the Eurovision uh, song contest in, and it was, uh, and it was mousy tongue, Uh, singer, little birdie. And it's, it's just this bit, you know, where they've got these <laughs> these sort of uh, you know political figures, and they're they're asking these ridiculous questions. Um, but yes, yeah, so Aber won in 1974 for Waterloo, 
in um I don't know if this was the one that won, but I don't care. Um is uh in uh 2023 in the Eurosong contest and uh it wasn't the winner. Uh the winner for that one was uh We Are One performed by the group Wild Youth. Um yeah, it is the 2023. Wait, wait, what date did that happen? Oh, in like February. Um it's fascinating. Okay. Um but the uh the song that was entered uh uh the song that I'm talking about is Hawaii uh by Public Image Limited aka uh John Lydon aka Johnny Rotten who is <laughs> basically a guy who's generally you know his um the general sort of view of him is is he's a dick um and uh and that is certainly his public persona um in um in the late 70s um he met this woman at uh Malcolm McLaren's uh uh store uh named Nora Forster and she was basically I guess you could think of it as as her being kind of a uh you know sort of the the sort of mother of uh of of British punk rock and uh you know she took care of a lot of these people she uh she promoted a lot of these people and um and um uh, and she died just a couple of weeks ago hmm. at the age of 80 um, she had been married to uh, John Lydon uh, since 1979, so what, 44 okay. years? Um, and and you know, this is where it betrays his public image, if you will pardon the pun, um, where you know he likes to come off as as uh, as just kind of a, an ass who really doesn't know anything about what he does but he really does. And, uh, and the public image albums really do show uh, that he knows how to put together people to create something interesting. And this song Hawaii is no exception to that, but here's the thing. Forster died a couple of weeks ago. Um, she had uh, Al- Alzheimer's Alzheimer's. And so yeah. he wrote this song for her. Um, and it is this beautiful, sensitive thing, like not what you expect from, uh, from John Lydon. And it is what I'm going to play leading out of this episode of all the things oh, that we've talked about is, is I want, I want this to, to be the one because it is a whole thing about remembering and, uh, and, and, you know, if there's a theme of this episode, it is remembering and, um, he wrote this song for her as she as she suffered from from Alzheimer's, and um, you know, again, this is where it betrays his yes public image limited, um, where um, her daughter from a previous marriage was uh, was uh, uh, named Ariane. She was known as Ari Up from the uh, from the punk band The Slits. Uh, she died in 2010 from uh, breast cancer, and uh, 
um, and and Nora and uh, Leiden became the guardians of her three children and uh, and oh. raised them. And he was very concerned that they be that, you know that they be raised with um, a presence of family. And uh, and and this is where it's like all of the things that I remember about this guy. Like you know you know I mentioned watching the. Uh, the pistols tv series uh a little while back and uh and how they how they portrayed him and it's like you know there's a public persona and there is and there is a not public persona and um and and i i respect the humility uh to um you know have had his his private persona and and to have done so much good there and uh you know he was with her every minute from uh, from diagnosis in 2018 to her death uh in uh april of 2023 and uh but he entered this song in the 2023 euro song called hawaii their favorite place dedicated to her and all about remembering and it is a thing of beauty and it is my pop of the week well, that's fantastic i really look forward to hearing that so folks um you may be able to track things from 1974 all the way up to now in 2023 and we want to hear about it so you can uh, send us your memories of 1974 or your memories of the things influenced by things that came out in 1974 and you can send that to us at popandcrap at gmail.com you can also head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash popacrap. That's P-O-P-N-C-R-A-P, which is also our uh, our Twitter handle. And please, I don't know how it's happened, but our, our, our Twitter feed has become just a hotbed of the worst people in the world. And uh, so, oh, no. oh, it's terrible. It's uh, oh. and so what I would rather have happen is for y'all to tell us good, all of time to take things. it back. Exactly. Let's take it back. And um, in addition to all those things, you can head over to our website, poppingcrap.com, where you can leave a comment on this or any episode. Scott. And remember, if it doesn't start Scatman Crothers, it's all just popping crap.